I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. During the last presidential election, we heard a lot of discussion about the subject of character. Almost every news commentator was raising the question, does character really matter? Is character an issue that needs to be addressed when selecting a leader? And the consensus seemed to be that character really isn't that important. Most espouse the view that what a person does in his private life isn't an issue as long as he can do his job in public life. But if I read the polls right, it may be that our national opinion is changing somewhat. And we seem to be coming to the realization that character does matter. That what a person is determines what a person does. Now, Scripture has been underlining that truth for thousands of years. And in our day of public scandals in almost every area of life, especially the political area, it's refreshing to meet a man like Nehemiah, who was a man of character. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see Nehemiah's character expressed in two ways. The two primary tests of character. Character is demonstrated most clearly through advancement and through adversity. If you want to determine what a person is like in their character, watch closely how they handle times of advancement and times of adversity. In chapter 5, verses 14 to 19, we see a description of the way Nehemiah handled a time of advancement. And in chapter 6, we see a description of the way Nehemiah handled a time of adversity. And in each case, we'll see his character shine. First of all, advancement, chapter 5, verses 14 to 19. Now, if I asked you what is the greatest test of character, your initial answer would probably be adversity. It's when our employer gives us a pink slip. It's when the doctor says, I've got bad news for you. It's when we go to pick up our income tax forms and the accountant says, you better sit down. Surely that's the greatest test of our character. But you know, if we think about it, there's a greater test of character than adversity, and that's the test of advancement. Thomas Carlyle, the Scottish essayist and historian, said, Adversity is hard on a man, but for every 100 men that will stand adversity, there is only one who can stand prosperity. Few people can live in the lap of luxury and maintain their spiritual equilibrium. There's something about a sudden elevation that causes us to lose our balance. And pride comes in, and self-sufficiency comes in, and we begin to fall. It's rather ironic, but more of us can hang tough through demotion than through promotion. Well, Nehemiah is going to show us how to handle promotion. And in chapter 5, verses 14 to 19, he makes an entry in his diary. Notice verse 14. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes for 12 years. Now, Nehemiah makes this entry in his diary after his first term in office. And chapter 13, verse 6 tells us after that first 12-year term, he went back to Susa, the capital of Persia. And so there he's writing in his diary and he's reflecting on the last... 
12 years. And what happened 12 years prior to this? Well, Nehemiah got a promotion. Nehemiah was appointed to be the governor of Judah, the highest position in all of Judah. Now, how did Nehemiah handle it? Well, he tells us in the verses that follow how he conducted himself from the first day to the last. And our conclusion will be that Nehemiah is a man of character. Now, he mentions four areas where his character was tested in the area of promotion. Four areas where most people fail. The first is privileges. With every promotion, there are privileges. You get additional rights, you get extra benefits, you get special favors. The individual with character will learn how to use those privileges without abusing those privileges. Or as in the case of Nehemiah, he will refuse to take advantage of them at all. Notice the end of verse 14. For 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten eaten the, the governor's food allowance. Now, as governor, Nehemiah received an expense account. All his food was paid for. He had to just sit down and sign the ticket. And that was it. It was covered. But Nehemiah says, I didn't do that. Why not? Well, we're not told specifically in this verse, but we know from earlier in this chapter that he didn't take his food allowance because it came from taxes on the people. And back in chapter 5 and verse 4, Nehemiah realized that the people were already overtaxed. And so Nehemiah says, I'm not going to tax them anymore, and so I'm going to give up my food allowance. And also, Nehemiah was not going to eat free when those in Judah around him, as we learn in chapter 5 and verse 2, were going without food. And so Nehemiah was one who surrendered his privileges for the sake of others. That's the same principle that Paul shows us. Paul taught that the preacher of the gospel should get his living from the gospel. And Paul did that in all of the churches except one, and that was the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 18, he writes to them and says, I did not make full use of my right in the gospel. In other words, I didn't take money from the church at Corinth. Why not? Because he knew that there were some in that church that would accuse him of being in it for the money if he took money. And so he gave up his privileges. He gave up his rights. He sacrificed his own personal gain for the spiritual good of others. That is demonstrating character in the area of privileges. And that's what Nehemiah did. Second area is policies. With promotion comes the power to set policies. And that was certainly true of Nehemiah. Now, in his previous job as cupbearer, he only followed policies. Now he's the governor, and he gets to write policies. Now what kind of policies does he establish? Look at verse 15. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. The former governors had laid heavy burdens on the people. They had levied taxes for their personal use. Nehemiah mentions 40 shekels of silver. That's probably the amount he received every day for his food allowance. They took, apparently, payola from the people because the bread and wine was extra. They they sort of took in gifts so that they would do favors for people. And also, it says that their bureaucratic assistance oppressed the people. 
In other words, their assistants went out and said, you know, I can put in a good word for the governor if you'd like me to, but you'll have to pay me for it. And so they oppressed the people. And Nehemiah could have said, well, I guess they've always done it this way. Why rock the boat? But Nehemiah changes the policy. No more taxes for the governor, no more payola, and no more oppression. Now that's practical, isn't it? I have a friend who is a sales representative for a major company. He recently got a promotion to a more desirable territory. He wasn't in his new job very long until he discovered that his predecessor had established a large account in a manner that was illegal. And so he went to his superiors and he told them, and they said, that's a big account. And we've always done it this way, so we want you to turn your head and go about your business. Now, my friend was confronted with a decision. He had to make a choice between job security and moral integrity. That's a test of character. And Nehemiah was a man of character, and so he changed the policies of the past. Third test in the area of advancement is priorities. Nehemiah is now the governor of Judah. He's in the highest position in the land. He's answerable to no one except the king of Persia. If he wants to, he can begin to build his own little empire. But what does Nehemiah do? What is his priority? Look at verse 16. And I also applied myself to the work on the wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Nehemiah's priority was the wall in Jerusalem. And he didn't emerge out of his ivory palace every once in a while to see how the work was going. He says, I applied myself to the work on the wall. Nehemiah put his hard hat on every day, and he went out and he worked on the wall. And not only that... But those in his cabinet were with him. They all came out and they worked on the wall. And then he makes an interesting statement in the middle of verse 16. He says, we weren't buying up any land. Earlier in this chapter, we know that there was poverty throughout Judah. And so they looked around. There were many people out there. If you had offered them a good price for their land, they would have sold it. And so they could have looked around and said, you know, have you seen the prices of real estate? We could make a killing here. But you see, Nehemiah was not interested in building his own empire. His priority was the kingdom of God. And so his commitment was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then the fourth area is the area of possessions. With a promotion comes an increase in salary, and with an increase in salary comes an increase in possessions. And character is measured by how I use my possessions. What did Nehemiah do with his? Look at verses 17 and 18. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also, birds were prepared for me, and once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the governor's food allowance. Now, Nehemiah had 150 people sitting at his table. There were the regulars, those of his officials and those who were Jews, and there were also those traveling dignitaries who came from other parts of the Persian Empire who dropped in every once in a while. Now, that's a lot of company. 
And Nehemiah didn't do this just once in a while. If you notice verse 18, he says he did it each day. Every day he had an open house policy. And he fed 150 people. And he didn't just feed them hamburger helper. It says in verse 18 that he served the choice sheep. That means they went through and they selected the very best, the fattest sheep, and they served those every day. Now, someone has gone through and and evaluated verse 18, and they've made an assumption that you could feed 500 people with that much food. Nehemiah was only feeding 150, so I don't know if they, they either stuffed themselves or maybe he took the extra food and he went out and he gave it to those who were working on the wall. But that was a lot of food every day. Now, who paid for it? Well, Nehemiah did. You see, Nehemiah gave up his food allowance, but he didn't give up his hospitality. He could have said, I'm not taking the food allowance anymore, so I'm not going to show any hospitality. But that was not Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man of character. Nehemiah apparently gathered great wealth during his time as a cupbearer. There was good money in cupbearing. And he took that money and he shared it with other people. And so Nehemiah is a man of character. We see that in a time of advancement because he laid aside his privileges, he changed the previous policies, he established his priorities, and he shared his possessions. Now, how did Nehemiah pass this test of character? What was the key for Nehemiah? Well, if we look again at our passage, he tells us, because he points out three things that were the key for him responding properly in this situation. Number one, he had a fear of God. The end of verse 15 says, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Nehemiah was not simply guided by his fear for the king of Persia. He was serving a higher king. And so he says, my decisions are dictated by my fear of God. Second thing, he had a concern for others. The end of verse 18 Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. Nehemiah looked around and he saw the needs of the people. He saw the burden that was already on them, and so he gave up his own rights because he was concerned about other people. His bottom line was not what's in it for me. His bottom line was the needs of people around him. And so Nehemiah, although he had never read Philippians chapter 2, was actually practicing it where we read regarding one another as more important than himself. And so he had a fear of God, he had a concern for others, and thirdly, he had a hope of reward. Look at verse 19. Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah was not focused on a present temporal reward. Nehemiah was looking to a future eternal reward. And so his prayer to God is, remember me. His focus was on the future. Now, I've heard people warn that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I personally don't think that's possible. Because I personally think that if I'm really genuinely heavenly minded, I will be of the very most earthly good. Nehemiah was vitally involved in the present, but he was looking to the future. He was just like Abraham, who was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder 
is God. He was like Moses who considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for the reward. He was busy in the present because he was motivated by a future reward. You know, if you're going to be one out of a hundred that Thomas Carlyle wrote about, if you're going to be a man or woman of character in a time of advancement, you are going to have to follow the footsteps of Nehemiah. You will have to fear God more than you fear your employer. You will have to care about others more than you care about yourself. And you will have to desire a future eternal reward more than you desire a present temporal reward. That's what we learn from Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's character passed the test of an advancement. But secondly, he was confronted with the test of adversity. And we see that in chapter 6. Now, chapter 4 describes an attack from without as the surrounding nations come up against Jerusalem. Chapter 5 describes an attack from within as the rich brothers were oppressing the poor brothers. Chapter 6 describes a little different strategy. This is a, an attack against Nehemiah. This is the, the, the sack the quarterback approach. You know, if we can knock the quarterback out, we can defeat the team. And so chapter 4 is a physical attack, chapter 5 is a spiritual attack, and chapter 6 is a personal attack. And the personal attack on Nehemiah takes four forms. We'll look at the first three this morning. First of all, the first attack is a compromise in verses 1 to 4. Notice verse 1. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall... And that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had set up the doors and the gates. That Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Shephirim in the plain of Ono. Now, up to this point in the building program, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem have opposed everything that the Jews have done. But now, when it's almost finished, when the walls are done and everything's completed except hanging the gates they are offering to cooperate. And so they send Nehemiah a message to meet them in the Valley of Ono. That's about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It's in between Judah and Samaria. And so they are saying, in essence, let's let bygones be bygones. After all, we're neighbors. We should try to be friends. Let's have a peace summit. We are willing to cooperate with you. In fact, we will meet you halfway. Now, isn't that the strategy that Satan consistently uses? If you can't beat him, join him, and then take over? When he realizes that you have built your walls and that your walls are formidable and that he can't scale them, then he is more than willing to compromise with you. You heard about the hunter that went hunting for bear and he came out in the clearing and not 50 yards away there was a huge black bear. And before he could get his rifle up and take aim, the bear said to him, hold on, wait a minute. Just what are you after? And the hunter said, well, I'm out here to get a fur coat. And the bear said, well, that's reasonable. All I want is a full stomach. Let's sit down and talk about it. 
Well, that sounded all right to the hunter, so they found a nice spot and they sat down to talk. Short time later, the bear walked away. He had his full stomach and the hunter had his fur coat. You see, that's where we end up when we compromise with the enemy. And Nehemiah understood that, and that's why he responds as he does in verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They called for a meeting in Ono, and Nehemiah said, Oh no, to the meeting in Ono. And the reason that Nehemiah couldn't come down is twofold. First reason we see in verse 3 is he says, I am doing a great work. If you are doing a great work, then you don't even have to waste your time weighing other options. You see, you don't leave something that's greater to do something that's lesser. You don't leave something that's best to do something that's second best. Nehemiah was mixing mortar and laying bricks and getting ready to hang gates. Now, if you looked at him, you would say, that doesn't look like a very great work. But what was it that made Nehemiah's work great? What was it that made Nehemiah's work the best? Well, he was doing the will of God. And you never leave the will of God to do something that's nice. You never leave what God has called you to do to do what people tell you to do. One of the reasons that most of us get in a mess is that we allow people to take us off the wall. God has called us to do something. God has addressed His will in our lives, and sometimes what we are doing doesn't seem that great to other people, but it is the greatest thing that we can be doing. And when someone tries to call us away to compromise, we don't even have to consider the question because we are doing a great work and we cannot come down. That's what Nehemiah said. And then his second reason is in the end of verse 3, he says, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, a meeting in Ono might have been a good thing with the right people. Cooperating in the work of the Lord can be a great thing with the right people. But these are not the right people. These are the people that earlier in this book, Nehemiah said in chapter 2, verse 20, have no portion in Jerusalem. These are the people who earlier had mocked the Jews. These are the people who had surrounded Jerusalem and wanted to come up and attack them. And so Nehemiah can see right through this situation. That's why he says at the end of verse 2, but they were planning to harm me. So you see, when someone comes to you and wants to meet you halfway, you'd better check their references. Because everybody who puts Jesus at the beginning of their sentence is not necessarily someone you want to have a summit with. Everyone who talks about heaven isn't going there. And so... We need to be careful when someone wants to meet us halfway, when someone wants us to compromise. And so Nehemiah makes this decision on the basis, number one, are you taking me away from God's will? And number two, what's your character like? 
Now, before we leave this point, notice verse 4, because there it shows us how persistent the enemy was. Verse 4 says, And they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. They wouldn't take no for an answer. They just kept saying, Come meet us in Ono. Meet us halfway. Compromise. And the message kept coming to Nehemiah because they knew if they could get Nehemiah to quit, it would be no big step to get the rest of the people to quit as well. But notice, Nehemiah says, I gave them the same answer every time. You see, Nehemiah based his answer on his convictions. And when you're a man of character or a woman of character and you base your decisions on your convictions... You don't even have to consider that question again. You're going to give the same answer the first time or the fourth time or the fiftieth time. I've heard people say, well, you know, if she asks one more time, I guess I'll go. Not in an area of compromise. Because when I base a decision on my convictions, nothing is going to change unless my convictions change. And Nehemiah held his ground because he was a man of character. Second attack was slander in verses 5 to 9. Notice verse 5. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now the key there is open letter. In that day, a letter was rolled up like a scroll and they put a seal on it. And the only person who could open that seal was the one who was authorized to do so. But this letter was not signed, sealed, and delivered. This letter was open. It was open because Sanballat, who sent it, wanted the public to read the letter. Why? Well, let's see what was in the letter. Verse 6. In it was written, it is reported among the nations that Gashmu, now that's the Aramaic form of Geshem that we read about back in verse 2, same individual. Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, therefore you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king concerning these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Sanballat says, since you didn't come down when I asked you to privately, I'm going to let it be known publicly that you're revolting against the king, you're setting up your own kingdom, and you've got prophets out there who are proclaiming that you are the Messiah according to Zechariah 9.9. Now, that's pressure. He's swaying the perception of Nehemiah among the people of Israel. And if you'll notice this letter, it begins with the words, it is reported. Now, whenever you hear that phrase, or the phrase, they say, those are the key phrases of gossip mongers. So whenever you hear someone say, well, it is reported, or they say, or I heard, it's time to back away. Someone has defined gossip as news that you have to hurry and tell somebody else before you find out that it isn't true. Well, Nehemiah was being hit with heavy-duty gossip. He was being hit with heavy-duty slander. And how does he respond? Well, look at verse, verses 8 and 9. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. In other words, that's a lie. 
Verse 9, For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. In the face of slander, Nehemiah does two things, and I want you to note what they are. Number one, he denies it. Verse 8, just a simple denial. It's false. And number two, he prays to God for strength in verse 9. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't spend a great deal of time defending himself. He doesn't get into a debate about the slander. You see, that's what Sanballat wanted him to do, and that's why at the end of verse 7, he invites him to come and meet with him. He's hoping to get Nehemiah so upset about this slander that he'll come down and have a a debate with Sanballat, and he will take his focus off of the wall and place it on this issue. But you see, when you're a man of character, you don't have to get into a debate about those who slander you. Nehemiah simply denies the report, prays for God's strength, and he goes back to work. Now, there's an important principle there, and that is that if we take care of our character, we can trust God to take care of our reputation. You see, you don't have a whole lot to say about your reputation, but you do have something to say about your character. Some of us spend all our time trying to straighten out our reputation when we should put our focus on our character. If we are people of character, we can say, God, here's this slander. Here's this statement about me. You take care of my reputation. Third area of attack was threats in verses 10 to 14. Verse 10 says, And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. Now we learn in verse 12 that this Shemaiah was a prophet. And he was apparently a prophet that Nehemiah respected because Nehemiah comes to his house. The reason he comes to his house, we're told in verse 10, is because he was confined at home. Now we're not told why. Some have assumed that he was maybe an invalid and couldn't get out. Others have assumed that maybe he was sick and therefore unclean and therefore confined to his house. But those two ideas don't hold water because if you notice, he says to Nehemiah in the prophecy, let's meet at the temple. So he's planning to go there. I think probably the better way to look at this is that he's shut up in his house to give the impression that like Nehemiah, his his life is in danger. He's hiding out in his house. And so he says to Nehemiah, I'm not coming out, I'm too afraid, but you come over to my house because I have a prophecy for you. And the prophecy that he gives to Nehemiah is that Nehemiah's life is in danger and that they're planning to take his his life at night. And so the suggestion is, let's take refuge in the temple. They're after you, they're after me. Let's both of us flee to the temple and we'll hide there and they won't be able to get us. Now notice the response of Nehemiah in verse 11. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Nehemiah asked two questions. Number one, should a man like me flee? Should a man like me, the leader of Judah, the governor of Judah, should I flee if I flee? then everyone else is going to follow me. I can't do that. And then his second question is, could one such as I go into the temple? 
Now, the word temple in verse 10 and also in verse 11 is not the word for the temple proper. It's the word for the holy place. It's the place where only the priest could enter. And so Nehemiah says, could a man like me who's not a priest go into the holy place? I will not go in because if I go in, that would be sin. And then having said that, notice what he says in verse 12. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. When Nehemiah realized that his prophecy was not consistent with the word of God, that he was telling Nehemiah to do something that would be a sin, he realized that this was a prophet for hire and that this fellow had been bought by his enemies to tell him this prophecy. Now, why had they done so? Look at verse 13. There's the answer. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Now, they were hoping that Nehemiah would react out of fear. His life was under threat. They were hoping that he would react out of fear and he would flee to the temple and then they would have something to hold up and say, look at Nehemiah and look what he did. Look at this sin that he's committed. And he would be slandered in the eyes of the people of Israel. But Nehemiah was a man of character. And even though these words came from the mouth of a prophet, and even though his life was in danger, Nehemiah stood faithful to God. And then notice verse 14. Remember, O my God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works of theirs, and also Nodiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Now apparently this didn't just happen this one time. It happened several times. There was a whole group of prophets that were out to frighten Nehemiah. Nodiah, who is mentioned only this one place in Scripture, is singled out probably because she was the ringleader. And so Nehemiah names these individuals, and what does he do? He simply entrusts it all to God. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been intimidated by people? Where you've been intimidated by people and you've seen a way out, but the way out involved trampling over a commandment of the Lord. Sometimes we're confronted with this same issue. We see, well, there's a place of safety over there, but to get there, I'll have to disobey the Lord. And we're stuck with a decision whether I'm going to base my decision on the fear of man or the fear of God. See, Nehemiah was a man of character. And so he stands firm and he takes the whole situation and he just entrusts it to God. If I die, I die, but I'm going to obey you. And so he lays it into the hands of God. Now we're going to stop there this morning. But I want to remind you what we've learned in our passage today, and that is that character matters. And let me close by just asking you a personal question. We've talked about the character of Nehemiah. How does your character measure up? Is it demonstrated through times of advancement? Do you readily give up privileges? Do you change the self-serving policies? Do you set one priority, the will of God? And do you share your possessions with those around you? And is it demonstrated through times of adversity? When you're tempted to compromise, do you refuse? When you're slandered, 
Do you get into an argument with people or do you simply entrust it to God? And when you're threatened, do you stand faithful to the Lord? You know, the only way you can answer those questions in the affirmative is if you're applying Nehemiah's keys to character. And that is, you're fearing God more than anyone else. You're caring about others more than you care about yourself. And you're desiring the future eternal reward more than the present temporal reward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this passage of Scripture. We thank You for the example of Nehemiah, a man who shows us character in action. And Lord, I pray as we analyze that today that, and we reflect on our own lives that we might look to You, that by Your Spirit You would produce this kind of character in us, the kind of character that can handle advancement as well as adversity. And Lord, I pray that in every area of our life we might be consistently faithful to You that we may be able to look back on our lives as Nehemiah did and make an entry in our journal that says, from the first day to the last, I displayed the character of Christ in my life. We pray for His glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.